Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast, another edition of a classic, classic wrestling pay-per-view that we watch. We started doing this, obviously, during the coronavirus outbreak because there is no sports. We're trying to supply some kind of entertainment. And we started it off with one of the great wrestling pay-per-views of all time, SummerSlam 2002. That was the pay-per-view selected by my partner in this little podcast endeavor we're doing. And that, of course, is Dennis has a podcast. You can follow him at DHAP Show. Dennis, I think the SummerSlam 02 one was was fun. It was enjoyable. Uh, we watched a classic. It was a classic, absolutely. And so because of that, I felt like that was your choice. Now it's my <laughs> turn to pick a pay-per-view. And I don't want to pick a classic. I want to pick something that, you know, in a lot of ways is sort of crappy, but very memorable. And the pay-per-view I picked, I think, fits both. There's a lot of crappiness involved, but nobody can tell you it wasn't memorable, and that was Starcade 1998. Now, before we jump in, do you remember ever watching this event? Is this a first time watching for you, or did you watch this back in December of 1998? We watched this back in December of 1998. Back uh, when I was in in high school, freshman in high school, uh, my group of friends, we were more WCW fans during this time. The NWO was huge. Uh, I kept track of the WWF, Stone Cold Zobs are huge in 98. Uh, But no, we were WCW fans in in 98, and we certainly watched this live. You know what's funny? I... I was always a WWF guy, and for a while, and hopefully this doesn't get my parents in trouble, we had one of those illegal cable boxes where <laughs> you'd get all the pay-per-views. So this was during that time period, which made it easy. You know, whenever there was a WCW or a WWF pay-per-view, I'd watch it because I didn't have to beg my mom or dad for, you know, fifty nine ninety five or whatever the heck it cost. But I do remember, even though I was a WWF guy, really being into Bill Goldberg and being enamored by this character that they created and this undefeated streak that he had. And I was excited for this event. Um, There were a lot of rumors he was going to lose to Kevin Nash. I had a tough time believing it. I had a tough time kind of thinking, really, he's going to lose to Kevin Nash? And if he does, man, it's going to be historic. He's 173-0. So I got to tell you, I I remember sitting down that night all about the Bill Goldberg streak. I was really into it back then. And the the NWO Wolfpack, which in retrospect, was at the end of its run, was huge. I guess we were, when I was 14 years old during that summer of 98, and I remember Sting turning to the Wolfpack on my birthday, June 1, 1998, and I remember that whole run. The NWO Wolfpack was huge. They were big faces. But uh, like you, we heard that Goldberg might lose to Nash, but in my 14-year-old brain, it didn't make any sense at all. Yeah. And I guess we'll get to it, but it was certainly uh, an interesting way to... Uh, Make things happen. If well, you will. so this event starts, and I'm rewatching it like you are, and maybe those who are listening are. And there's a couple of things that jump out at me right at the beginning. First of all, they called Starcade the granddaddy of them all, which mm-hmm. feels like a little bit of a ripoff of WrestleMania, but I get it. Starcade is the big event for WCW. They're hyping up Bill Goldberg. They're hyping up the Eric Bischoff, Ric Flair match, saying that there's news about the match we've got to get to, that uh, all the horsemen aren't going to be allowed in. It's a no DQ match or something. And then as they're building up this great event, all of a sudden there's a freaking QVC commercial (laughs) followed by Gene Okerlund plugging that scam of a 1-900 hotline number. It feels like they had this momentum for the beginning of this event. All right, let's start this thing off hot. And they started off with a QVC commercial and Gene Okerlund trying to steal kids' money. 
Bret Hart doing the QVC commercial. They didn't do one correct thing with Bret Hart during the his entire WCW run. Maybe the the Goldberg steel, uh, spear into the steel plate, but that's about it. The other thing that really bothered me about the top of the show is that they claimed the lineage of the WCW Heavyweight Championship back to 1905, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like even at the time, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, you, you can't claim lineage back to 1905. Oh, what a mess! What a, <laughs> the biggest the biggest night in the history of our sport. <laughs> they they also used uh, a line that we hear all the time now in the WWE. Every match the WWE calls a dream match, and they actually called Bill Goldberg versus Kevin Nash a quote dream match. They went with that shtick too to describe it. No, well, you know, he didn't have a lot of really great top tier matches during his 173-0 streak. Obviously, he wins the U.S. title off of Raven, and then he wins the world title off of uh, of Hogan. He had that memorable match with Regal before all that. Uh, he had that incredible match with Page, which I want to say was at Halloween Havoc, yes. uh, which is probably Goldberg's best match. Yes. Uh, I should probably go back and watch that at some point. But, yeah, he hasn't had a lot of, like, top-tier matches. And if he did, he goes through Scott Hall in two minutes in order to get to Hogan that same night. So, you know, it, it is one of those things that it's hard hard to put uh, someone up against Goldberg when he's as hot as he is. Uh, but I guess Nash at this time is about as big as you're going to get, even if none of us believed that he had a chance to beat Goldberg. Oh, dude, he's over. I mean, there's no question about that. He's really popular because, like you mentioned, the NWO Wolfpack is a big deal. A- as I'm watching the Okerlund hotline thing, which is the more I think <laughs> about it all these years later, what a scam. I mean, Oh, please call one nine hundred. You know, whatever it was, nine one nine something 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 something, and we're going to give you some kind of big rumor. And the rumor that Gene Oakland was selling was there's some old familiar faces on hand, but we can't talk about them on air. Now I got to tell you, when he whipped out that line, my curiosity was really peaking. Who do you think Gene Oakland was talking about when he said that quote? There are old familiar faces on hand, but we can't talk about them on air. I have literally no idea. <laughs> who, who do you have in mind? I have no idea. Dude, I, I, this actually entertained me for a big part of the opening match, which turned out to be Billy Kidman against Tuvi Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, which we'll get to. All I could think about was, was there somebody about to jump ship? Was there a WWF guy they were implying? Like, are they going to try to tell us that Steve Austin's backstage? Like, I, I wanted to go back in time <laughs> and spend the $5 just to find out the BS that Gene Okerlund was peddling. And, and here's the other question. We had the internet back then. Why didn't one guy, as an investment to all of us, spend the $5, get all the rumors, and then just post it on WrestleZone.com? Did people not do that back then? I, I think they I think they absolutely did. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, WrestleZone. Sure. I remember like the pay-per-views I didn't buy. You just keep refreshing. Uh, give me a match update. Give me a match update. Give me a match update. Oh, man. WrestleZone and all those other dirt sheets online with those pay-per-view results. That was a very important uh, piece of my life back then. All right, let's get to the actual wrestling. The opening match of the night is Billy Kidman. He's defending the Cruiserweight title in a – they're not calling it a triple threat match. I think they were calling it a three-way dance or a three-way a tri- match. Triangle. A triangle. A triangle match. match. That's right. That's right. Billy Kidman against Juventud Guerrera and Rey Mysterio Jr. A couple of big names here, obviously, with Rey Jr. Uh, the thing that jumps out at me about this match, Dennis, I'm curious if you think the same thing, is how the camera angle missed the actual ending of the match. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely did. That, that kind of ticked me off. I mean, you know, we have this, what I thought was a pretty good match. 
It was weird. I mean, Rey Mysterio, he kicked up, I think he kicked Hoovy, which led to Kidman getting the victory. It was kind of weird. It was almost like Ray Jr. was helping out Billy Kidman. I know they, in the future, became a tag team. They were the Filthy Animals. But it was a very weird ending. I thought it was an entertaining match. I thought it was a good match. I thought it was the, the right match to open a show with. I would have actually opened the show with it as opposed to the QVC ad. But what got weird was, <laughs> A, we don't see the ending, and then B, Eddie Guerrero comes down, and it turns into another match. And it, he cuts, Eddie Guerrero cuts like a five minute promo too. Like he's in the ring for an uncomfortable amount of time. Like usually you would think it would be like a, a second or two to go Kidman to come out, but he has the mic for uh, a really long time. Um, the other thing I noticed in this match for, for we're so used to the WWE, you know, uh, you know, triple threat matches where there's only two people in the ring. Someone gets knocked out and it's usually just one on one matches over and over. In this match, all three guys are in the ring for most of the time. And when they go to the floor, they're almost all on the floor. Uh, so they're all kind of fighting each other at all times, even though Hoovy's the heel and Ray and Kidman are the faces. They're all kind of going each at each other at all times. Um, and they're doing crazy, you know, the cruise rates in WCW. We talk about it all these years later. Um, it, it, they're great at what they do. And Eddie, you know, just shows flashes. He's, he has it in the ring. Um, he's great on the mic. He didn't show it here. Uh, but him having to wrestle the next match in... What, uh, you know, Timberlands and jeans just makes it that much more impressive. It, it was weird that we got a second match. Like, right out of the gate, we get this triangle match, which was okay. It was pretty good. Billy Kidman defends it. And then immediately, or at least after the five minute promo of Eddie Guerrero, we get Billy Kidman against Eddie Guerrero, which was okay. I mean, it was, you know, what ended up happening to me, Dennis? The more this show went on and the more it sucked, and we'll get to why. These matches to start the show looked a lot better. You know, once I'm done watching Scott Norton and Brian Adams in a tag team match, I'm kind of hearkening back to the fact that the cruiserweights were the most <laughs> entertaining part of the show to that point. And I loved Kidman. I was always a Kidman mark. Um, but rewatching this, I still say Brock Lesnar's shooting star is better than Kidman's. <laughs> like it, it's pretty snug and pretty tight. Um, but it is a pretty cool finish, and he finishes off uh, Eddie with the uh, the move there. All right, so here's where the show really just goes nuts. Here's where the show gets drunk. They give us Norman Smiley against the Prince. I didn't. I didn't remember who this guy was. Prince something. And Prince Iak. You don't remember Prince Iak? I guess vaguely. I mean, not not entirely, but I almost passed out during this match because I just didn't give a crap. And then they they follow it up with Perry Saturn against Norman the Cat Miller, and I'm thinking to myself, am I watching WCW Thunder or am I watching the quote <laughs> granddaddy of them all? Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's funny with, with all these wrestling podcasts now. You know, Bischoff will claim that you know Halloween Havoc was like the biggest show of the year. But my impression, and I, I think everyone's impression, that Starkey was supposed to be their big event of the year. And to start off with, you know, 25 minutes of incredible cruiserweights. You know what? That's a hot way to start the show. I, I, I'm all for it. But these next two matches, like you said, both ended by I think they both ended by submission. I think Perry won by the uh, Rings of Saturn as well. But yeah, like I don't maybe because we don't know the storylines or whatever it might be, but. It just was, didn't make any sense for the biggest show of the year. For the time they got, Norman Smiley and Prince Ikea got 11 minutes, 31 seconds. That's insane. Well, it felt, especially as the show went on, and you saw the lack of star power that WCW 
had but didn't use. Now, for whatever reason, I mean, I can't remember why Sting wasn't there. I can't remember why Macho Man wasn't there or why Bret Hart was doing a QVC commercial and not wrestling. But (laughs) you had a lot of star power that wasn't on the show. And look, I'm sure there was a reason for it. I'm sure there was some kind of injury that dealt with all of these guys. But I think these kinds of matches on the, quote, granddaddy of them all, when we're talking about a roster that was stacked, I mean, think about how stacked the WCW roster was. It was so stacked that, you know, Macho Man against DDP could open a show. That's how many guys that they had. So I think that part was jarring. And the other part, and this showed up right after the Saturn Norman the Cap Miller match, was they're doing interviews. They're, they're, they're setting up future matches for the night throughout the show so we mentioned at the top they're giving you an update on rick flair eric bischoff they're actually wrestling then okerlin does an interview with the, at the time the 13-time champion rick flair and so again that felt like nitro i mean this is supposed to be the payoff and then there was an interview with eric bischoff like a match and a half later it felt like the whole show was building towards hey let, let's continue to build bischoff to versus flair something bro they were doing on tv for a year did they really need parts of starcade to remind us that these two these two old guys are gonna fight each other so after the uh the nor after the norman prince ikea match uh there's a scott hall promo live uh, on the on the ramp then a rick flair rick flair promo live on the top of the ramp then the Saturn cat match happened then a bischoff hype video uh in black and white with the wolf pack in the back then the tag match then even more bischoff <laughs> Then Conan and Jericho, and then Flair and, uh, and Bischoff. Like in WWE, we're so used to hype video match, hype video match. They did two, two three Bischoff Flair hype pieces, not even directly in front of the match. Directly in front of the Flair Bischoff match was the Conan Jericho match with nothing in between. Like, what the hell was that about? <laughs> I, gi- I give you another one. I give you another one. And this is where. Our, our thoughts of, hey, this whole event is building up towards two or three matches and they're kind of, they're, they're kind of crapping all over some of these earlier matches. They're barely talking about the matches as they're happening. They're talking about how excited we are for Bill Goldberg against Kevin Nash, how excited we are for Ric Flair against Eric Bischoff. Well, during the tag team match, which was Norton and Brian Adams against Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn, another, you know, oh my God, I can't believe this is on Starcade match. All of a sudden, in the middle of the match, Tony Schiavone says, well, Oh my God, we have breaking news, breaking news, totally ignoring the fact there's a match in the ring <laughs> to let us know that the main event is now a no DQ match. Again, they, they were broke, just crapping all over every match that weren't the three big main events of the night. And that's odd to do it. The granddaddy of them all. But they did that all the time in WCW. I, I know, they, I know. If, if you if you read uh, Up Rocks, uh, Brandon Stroud, who does the best and worst of uh, all the wrestling shows for the for the WCW ones, he's like, "Where is Hulk Hogan? Is Hulk Hogan here? If Hulk Hogan's not here, where's Hulk Hogan?" And that's essentially you know subbing Hogan for whatever you want there. But the point being that you know if it's not if it doesn't involve the 1993 WWF main eventer, then we're not going to talk about it, even if the match is happening. So WCW was known for that they did that for five years and that's probably one of the reasons why they didn't last for very long all right let's get to the match we were all waiting to talk about and that of course is conan defending the tv title against the greatest of them all your hero chris jericho the floor is yours all of your thoughts on conan versus jericho for the television championship 
So we are. It's, I've decided that we're not going to do any pay per view where Jericho wins a match, at least not for a while. <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to avoid that as well possible. Uh, so in the hype video going into this match, the, there was a, a promo from Nitro where Jericho has Ralphus and he has someone dressed up as Conan. For some reason, uh, Jericho's wearing cowboy boots. Jer- Jer- I, see, here's the thing I don't understand, and I need to like have like a full understanding of it because Jericho on some level felt he was buried and in a lot of ways he was buried. He never got a main event push in WCW, but every week they gave him three, you know, two to five minutes of, you know, free mic time to do whatever the hell he wants. And I don't know how he got a guy that looks like, you know, Conan to, to dress up in NWO gear or whatever. Um, but Jericho's the absolute best and he can have a, a great uh, feud. He had an incredible six month feud with Dean Malenko and Dean Malenko wasn't even there. And when Malenko comes back, he gets a huge pop. Uh, I digress. Uh, Jericho gets a lot of uh, offense in early. Um, Jericho's pre-match promo, incredible. Conan's pre-match promo, a disaster. Um, he, Jericho does get a lot of offense in, but he succumbs to the twisty, bendy tequila sunrise, and uh, Conan retains his television championship. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple of things. Let, let's well, not back the lead here. <laughs> the fact that Chris Jericho in WCW comes out to his WWF Walls of Jericho sound is a major, major problem. And it's one of the biggest issues the network has. I'm serious. And we'll get to it later with DDP, where it's probably even worse. What does it cost to just play the music that was played at the pay-per-view? And I understand, I understand not having Voodoo Child because it probably costs an insane amount of money. So I get not wanting to pay for, but even that's one song. But all those WCW themes used to be on SportsCenter. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like sometimes but- they'd be they'd be showing Bulls Knicks highlights, and it'd be Lex Luger's WCW theme underneath. Right. So it's out there. It's bed music you can buy, and I'm with you entirely. It, it just 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 pay the amount of money. Listen, bump up the network to a. a a ten ninety nine a month. Uh, buy the music. I, I agree. I will pay the extra dollar a month if it means we actually get the music that was played in an event because it also takes away kind of the feeling of that night. Because I, I don't remember what Chris... I know this may offend you. I don't remember Chris Jericho's music from WCW, but I want to remember Chris Jericho's music from it's, WCW. It, it, it's a ripoff of Evenflow. And maybe this is a, another podcast we go back and we, where we make note of all these and come up with our, our most a- angering um, uh, WCW music uh, uh, replacements because those are two for sure that are frustrating. Yeah, I'll send it to you later. It, it's a ripoff of Evenflow by uh, Pearl Jam. No, no, and I appreciate you sending it to me. But that's not the point. When I'm watching Jericho in WCW, I want the genuine product. And to get and you know what? They so easily could confuse me. They can't confuse you, but they could confuse me. They could give me any other kind of music that I'm not familiar with, and I barely would notice. But when you well, give why- me his WWF music, obviously, I know. See, that's the, a problem. The, the, the DDP one really bothered well, me. Well, that's even, not just, Dennis, that's but, even worse. And we'll get to that but, in a second. But I got two more thoughts on this match that, please, that please. you'll actually like. Conan's submission move, whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> Tequila that, Sunrise. That was what it was. The ugliest submission move I've ever seen. I mean, I, I, it's insulting yeah. that Chris Jericho, who's about to become a star, I mean, in a year's time, he's going to be in the WWF, and even as a mid-carder, he's a bigger star than what he was in WCW. They made him tap out to Conan, who for some bizarre reason 
was over with the crowd. I got to hand it to him. You know, he does his little spiel at the beginning. Arriba la raza. The whole thing is over. So, I, I mean, I do give him credit for that. But I mean, that submission move was brutal. Jericho needs to get the victory. And one other, one other thought. The TV title. What the hell ever happened to the TV title? And what was the point of the TV title? I think the TV title was essentially when they had a weekly television show, WCW Saturday Night or whatever it might be. It, just, it was an opportunity for lower mid-card guys to, to be relevant, have something to fight for, especially when you don't have the top guys on WCW Saturday Night more than like four times a year. So you have a championship to be defended on one of your flagship shows. So that was the point of it at the time. But I think in the next year... Uh, in 99 at some point, I think uh, Scott Hall wins it and throws it in the trash at some point. And I forget who takes it out of the trash. i got to look that up because that's going to bother me. I think Jim Duggan finds it. Isn't that who finds it? That sounds right. <laughs> sounds sounds like a tremendous feud uh, or a tremendous idea. Let's let's take a title, throw it in the trash, have somebody else pick it up, and then we'll have it. I would love to see just out of nowhere. I don't know who the last TV champion is. Let's say it's Jim Duggan. But, it is, yeah. Okay. You've confirmed it's Jim Duggan. He's the last TV yep. champion. February 2000. All right. How funny would it be if I just raw randomly, Jim Duggan comes out wearing <laughs> the WCW TV title, and that's how we bring the title back. I mean, it's a renaissance. Hey, I, I haven't lost it if I'm Jim Duggan. I just haven't defended it in 20 years. Here we go. And all of a sudden, the title's yep. back in play. What do you think of that? Do something with, uh, with what's his name, um, R-Truth. You know what I mean? Like, do some combination of, like, have R2 show up with the 24-7, have Hacksaw show up with the TV title, and have them be confused. There's something there. Yeah, there. There could definitely be something there. But And also, looking at the lineage of the TV title, maybe we do something on this at some point. They, like, random main eventers hold on to it, like, at <laughs> random times, and then, like, jobbers. It's like, I don't know what they were trying to do with it once they got a little bit, you know, later on into the Nitro era. Well, think about this. Think about this event right now. We talked about the Cruiserweight title. We talked about the TV title, and of course we'll have our championship match. There's no U.S. title on this show, and there's no tag title on this show. So two of the main belts that you would think in WCW are not even being defended at the, quote, granddaddy of them all, Starcade 1998. It's hard to believe, but like you said, well, if you ever go into, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'll, what I'll do from time to time, because I have... Uh, the, the greatest life there is. Uh, I'll go on Wikipedia and like look up random WCW storylines. Be like, oh, NWO two thousand. Yeah, I remember that. What, what was that about? Oh, everyone got hurt. Oh, okay. And so, you, anytime you look into a storyline in WCW and you wonder what happened, somebody got hurt. Yeah, uh, it's Scott Hall. Rick's is. We yeah, finally Rick, get this Eric Bischoff Ric Flair match. It's you know, it's it's basically what you expect. I mean, Ric Flair is a legend. Eric Bischoff's not a wrestler. Rick is controlling most of the action. There's a lot of Ric Flair, if you notice, kicking Bischoff in the nether regions. I also noticed that Little Nate is the referee of this match. Flair <laughs> gets the figure four on. The ref's knocked out. And then you get Kurt Anning coming out, giving Eric Bischoff the brass knuck. And, of course, at the granddaddy of them all, you can't have the babyface win. You can't have Justice win. You need Eric Bischoff to actually get a victory over Ric Flair. And that's what he got at Starcade. Your thoughts? Uh and the most frustrating thing is that the next night they redo the match and have Flair go over. So right. if you're going to do that, why not just do it on the pay-per-view? Again, Bischoff had one, two, two, Bischoff had two full promos. Ric Flair had a live promo. It just, it just, it, I don't know why Bischoff, it's fun because Bischoff again is a talented guy. He's a charismatic guy. 
but it's really fascinating to go back and watch how much he put himself over. To be fair, if I ran a, a, you know, a wrestling company at 40 years old, I'd probably put myself over too. But it's just at the expense of, you know, a living legend in flair. Uh, it's, it was a tough, uh, rewatch, a, a very long seven minute match. <laughs> yes. Well said. And, you know, I think it was on the, um, one of the podcasts we did, I think it may have been the Shawn Michaels one where I kind of ripped Vince McMahon, the wrestler. I don't need to see Vince McMahon wrestle. Well, I'm about to compliment him now because the difference between <laughs> Vince McMahon in the ring and Eric Bischoff in the ring is huge. And that's the size. That's the fact that Vince looks big. He looks strong. He looks like an intimidating face, even though he's older, even though, yeah, you shouldn't take him seriously against Shawn Michaels or or The Undertaker, at least when Vince McMahon takes his shirt off, he's ripped. He's a big guy. Eric Bischoff doesn't look like a wrestler. I mean, Eric Bischoff isn't a wrestler. Eric Bischoff is not an intimidating figure, and I'm sorry, him being a black belt in karate doesn't make him intimidating at all. And I think that's one of the, the big differences between what makes Vince in the ring work to a degree and what makes Bischoff in the ring not work in any way. I just think there's a huge difference between the two. I, I don't disagree at all. And even like you said, even if Bischoff is a black belt in karate, he doesn't look like a black belt in karate. And in pro wrestling, somehow, sometimes looking the part is more important than actually walking the walk. Let's get to the, not the main event, but the second to last match of the night. And that was Diamond Dallas Page against the Giant. Obviously, you know, the first thing we're going to say, DDP doesn't have his music, which is a big problem because his music may be, you tell me if I'm wrong, bro, the best WCW theme of all time. Uh, I was doing uh, some cardio the other day, and it's not on Spotify, so I went on to YouTube to find the WCW Diamond Dallas Page theme, and it is tremendous. Oh, it's great. And, and I got to tell you, I really, really enjoyed this match. I, I thought that... The broadcast, the broadcast crew did a good job. Like I, I was kind of, what is it? I'm a mark. I'm a mark for them talking about how DDP is working on different variations of the diamond cutter for the giant. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I like that. It makes it feel like a sport, like a science. The strategy, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with so you on that. I enjoyed that. I like the giant in WCW. I mean. Give me the giant in WCW well over the big show and his endless run there in the WWF and WWE. And I thought they had some cool moments in this match. Like the giant had him beat and then he picks him up. He doesn't want to beat him in that moment. And obviously you had to have a little bit of a schmoz. Bret Hart comes out. He's in the midst of a feud with DDP. He accidentally hits the giant with the chair. And then the ending was great. You know, the giant's trying to do a choke slam from the top. And DDP turns it into a diamond cutter from the top, almost like a diamond cutter out of nowhere, some may say, for the, for the victory over the Giant. I, I actually really enjoyed this match. The diamond cutter might be the best finisher of all time. It might be the most protected finisher of all time. Like, very rarely is anybody ever kicked out of it. The only person I can think of right now is Goldberg in that great match. But, you know, DDP was, you know, knocked out for 30 seconds because he was tired. Um, a couple other things about this match. Uh, you mentioned DDP's entrance and the music being different music. Uh, it hurt the pop. Because you don't get to hear the natural music with the natural pop. DDP is over huge. The crowd is losing their minds, but you don't hear that on the audio of the, of the pay-per-view because they're dubbing over the new music. My other question I would ask is because DDP has WWF music. So why do they use a generic ripoff of a ripoff instead of using the WWF DDP theme for him? That's a good question. That's a, that's a, that's a very good question. I didn't even think about that. 
Yeah, um, right. I don't know. I just wish they used this WCW song <laughs> instead of giving us anything that's different. The diamond cutter counter. He's he did, he's had a couple of counters. Uh, I like the uh, the fireman's carry diamond cutter. I like the super diamond cutter. Uh, but my favorite part of this match, and it's funny to think because Paul White, the Big Show, eventually uh, six weeks later to be debuts in the WWF at St. Valentine's Massacre. So this is only six weeks before that. Um, and he, you know, he's young, athletic. The double chokeslam backbreaker uh, was really a, a, a fancy move that I, I made note of. Um, I I love DDP. I think the Giant. I think Big Show is underrated at times when he's in shape and motivated. Uh, this is a pretty awesome semi-main. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. And then we get to the main event, which, of course, is why we're all here, as they were trying to make it clear. This is the main event. This is the biggest match of all time. The undefeated Bill Goldberg against Kevin Nash. Goldberg putting 173-0 up on the line. Uh, here are my issues with this thing, because there's a lot of them. I have a lot of issues with this match. <laughs> I don't have an issue with both guys using submission moves, as awkward as that was in the early going, because it's not like we think of Kevin Nash and Bill Goldberg as these men of many moves that can uh, make you submit. But the amount of attempted interference and then obviously the ending of this match, this is not what I think anybody wants, not only to end the Starcade, but to end the streak of Bill Goldberg. First, we've got Disco Inferno coming out because he wants to be in the Wolfpack. Then we've got Bam Bam Bigelow coming out, and he gets clotheslined. And then obviously we get the topper, which is Scott Hall, who uses that... Uh, that taser, even though he came out, he comes out, uses a taser gun. They call it a cattle prod, and that leads Nash into the power bomb on Goldberg. Goldberg was selling the shock, by the way. If you look at the pin, Goldberg is like bouncing up real quick to sell the the shock of this cattle almost, prod that they use. He almost kicks out. You think he kicks out? Well, because his shoulder comes up when he's flopping around. You don't. You didn't notice that? I didn't. So you think that the, the ref actually screwed this whole thing up? After the two count, no, I think Goldberg messed it up because right after the two count, one, two, Goldberg flops again and his shoulder pops up. Huh? I'm gonna have to yeah, rewatch that. I mean, go I was, back and watch that. I was focused on Goldberg selling the shock of it, but I didn't notice a shoulder coming up, which wouldn't have been the first time that a Starcade finish got ruined by some kind of screw up. We saw that a few years earlier in the uh, Hulk Hogan Sting match. But look, I, here's what I'll say: when you have an undefeated streak. And WWF had it a few years later with Brock Lesnar. They had a guy who became champion. He was undefeated. There's no good way to end that kind of streak. Okay, I admit that. Like, what's the best way to end a streak like that? I hated how they did it with Lesnar, with him losing because Paul Heyman turned on him. And the big show, uh, ironically enough, was able to get the victory over Brock. And this is kind of similar in that... It wasn't a clean ending. I'm not even ripping on Nash or Big Show as being the wrong guy to do it because I don't know who the right guy was. It's just that I think that most of us, I know I felt at the time and I still feel it now all these years later, cheated about the streak that it ended with something as stupid as Scott Hall, who was not even a main eventer in WCW, was never a main eventer, great character, great talent, was never main eventing pay-per-views. He just wasn't. And that's how we're going to have Bill Goldberg finally lose a match. It pissed me off in 1998, and i got to admit, it pissed me off in 2020. You could see they're trying to tell a story here. They're trying to tell a story with the match. They're trying to sell a story with the interference. They're trying to sell a, tell a story with, uh, with Nash uh, and Hall. But I also don't know where they're going with this because 
when this happens, like map out the next year of main event storylines in WCW. Oh, we, eight days later, the finger poke of doom happens. Okay, that happens. So the NWO comes back together. Then I think a couple months after that, Nash wins the belt off DDP. You go back and read the WCW title history. The, the belt changes every two weeks, sometimes less than that, sometimes the same night. Uh, and then going into that, everyone gets hurt. Goldberg tears his forearm in the, in the limo and yada, yada. I just don't know where they're going to with the long-term story here. If the whole story was to put the belt back on Hogan, they do that here with Nash. And I, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I want to know a, a long-term story that they were planning. And it's hard. It makes my head hurt trying to retrofit this story. Well, here's the real question then. Because we know about how finger poke of doom two weeks later. Hogan, then ends, I think, ends up losing the title to Ric Flair, and now the belt is moved around like a hot potato. Goldberg gets hurt. Obviously, none of this really worked out. I know that they did have a Goldberg-Scott Hall match. I think it was a cattle prod on a pole match, if I'm not Case mistaken. on a pole match. Yeah, but sure. how would you – this is the key question, and I've, I've been giving this a lot of thought for this podcast. How would you have booked Bill Goldberg's streak ending? How would you have done it? If you didn't take the belt off him with DDP a couple of months earlier, which I think you probably could have done and people would have bought it, if you didn't do it there, I don't know when you do it. I don't know who you have. There's no one with enough clout because all like Hogan and Flair and Nash and Hall are all older or not built up enough. Um, I, I don't. I don't know who. I, I don't know who it is. I really don't know who it is. The guy to me. And he wasn't on this show. And I don't think this was the moment either. Let me start with that. Bill Goldberg was incredibly over. The crowd still bought it. And his title victory over Hulk Hogan wasn't a year earlier. It was a few months earlier. So we are not, you know, deep into this Bill Goldberg title run. And I didn't feel at the time, and I certainly didn't feel watching the event, where both Nash and Goldberg were over. I mean, the crowd was very, very much into this match. And I think really liked both characters. I just don't think that was the moment. I don't think they needed to yet. I think he could have had a hard-fought, you know, tough match with Kevin Nash and beat him. He doesn't have to squash him, but beats him. The guy who I think I would have booked to beat him was Sting. Once Sting was healthy, he is the the face of WCW, is kind of the soul of WCW, and I think it needed to be clean. That's That's the one thing about these streaks ending. They really do need to be clean. Now, they could be weird. It doesn't have to be with a stinger splash. It doesn't have to be with Sting, you know, putting him in the scorpion deck lock and him passing out. It could be a small package. You know, it could be kind of a, a weird, you know, quick ending, kind of the way Bret Hart beat Kevin Nash at Survivor Series when he faked an injury and then got him a small package. But I, I just think that as a fan, and I felt this way about Brock, I certainly felt this way about Goldberg, we need a real ending and not some kind of cheap ending. And that's what we would have done. So, I kind of lean towards these two things. A, the streak wasn't ready to be over yet. I think he was still over enough where they could have kept it going. And I think it would have added to the intrigue that, oh, my God, Bill Goldberg is 250-0 now. When is he going to lose? And you could have made a bigger deal of that streak. You know, we had the Undertaker streak at WrestleMania, and everybody was into it every year. Could you imagine if WCW built up every pay-per-view that kind of same way of, is this the night Goldberg loses? Is this the night somebody beats him? And I think they took the best thing they created outside of the NWO and they wasted it. But my gut would have been Sting's the guy at some point to take the belt off him and end his undefeated streak. I thought this was one of the big missed opportunities by WCW and probably led to their collapse. 
you know, immediately after this, you know, Goldberg didn't lose again until the fall of 99, where uh, he lost to, I believe his second loss was to Bret Hart in the uh, world title tournament for the U.S. title. Because Goldberg wins the U.S. title again, I believe, against Sid Vicious in like a TKO knockout situation. So Goldberg goes on another winning streak after this. So it doesn't halt him entirely. But then once he loses again in the fall of 99, he gets hurt relatively quickly. But then he loses to like Scott Steiner and he just loses, you know, he's not the same guy after he gets hurt in late 99. Well, but 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 also, you, you, you're right. I'm not saying that Goldberg loses the match, and now all of a sudden he's losing matches. I remember watching, I forget what, but something in the summer of that year where they referred to the fact that, hey, he's only lost one match in his career. So it didn't hurt him in, in, in tale of he's losing matches now, but where it hurt him is that the intrigue of being undefeated is gone because he's not undefeated. You know, it's kind of like right now the world we live in with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I mean, The Undertaker's not undefeated at WrestleMania anymore. So it's not about that. Oh, but he's only lost twice. Who cares? Even after he only lost once, who cares? It's just simply The Undertaker's wrestling. And if you're into that, great. But if you needed something else, like the streak to get you into it, it's not there anymore. So it didn't you know, completely stun Goldberg's popularity or winning in WCW, but it took away a storyline that could have gone longer and could have been more intriguing. And that's why Starcade 1998, after rewatching it, it does suck. It sucks because most of the card sucks, and it sucks because the ending sucked, and you left the, quote, granddaddy of them all feeling like you got completely hosed. I'm glad I didn't spend fifty nine ninety nine on it 22 years ago. At the end of the night, uh, WCW is 27 months away from being bought out by, by Vince McMahon. So everyone kind of, you know, points at this period of time, the finger pointed poke of doom, uh, this match, uh, as of where the tur, the tide turns. But I would argue, not quite, I would say there's still a little bit of juice in WCW, but around this time, you know, they always say that WCW is the land where the heels win and WWF is where the good guys win. And if the bad guys are always going to win and no one ever gets a, a happy moment, not Ric Flair, not Goldberg, not Sting, you know, when the year before, or was it yeah, the year before, Sting wins the belt in the weirdest way possible. This is the easiest match to book ever of all time. Sting going over Ho Hogan at Starcade in 97. They couldn't do that correctly. They couldn't end Goldberg Street the year after in 98. They just... If, we, if there were just a couple of booking twe uh, tweaks to WCW, they might still be in business today. Crazy to think about. All right, so you initially picked SummerSlam 02. That was fun. I picked Starcade 1998. It is now your turn. What should be the next big event, pay-per-view, whatever you want to call it, in wrestling history that we should go back, rewatch, and then talk about? Evan Roberts, so I've known you for close to 10 years now. We've been friends for, for just about that long a period of time. And for, I feel like just along of that period of time, I've been trying to get you to watch NXT. It's been over five years for at least I've been trying to get you to watch this. So the next pay-per-view we're going to watch is NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 2015 from August 2015, the night before SummerSlam 2015. I was in the house. The card was better than SummerSlam. The semi-main was better than the main event. This is one of the best pay-per-views I think of all time. Probably the best pay-per-view I was ever at. And I cannot wait for you to get a taste of NXT. And I say a taste because you're going to know almost everybody on this, on this card 
Almost everybody makes it up to the main roster, and a lot of them are still big deals on the main roster today. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to have a lot of fun, and I know the audience is really going to appreciate it because I know a lot of people, we've gotten a lot of good feedback from the people, and thank you for hitting us up on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun, and I know uh, there are a lot of NXT marks out there. So, Evan, you were going to watch, I believe, your first full NXT card. Wow. All right, I'm in. It's kind of like watching a Norfolk Norfolk Tides Columbus Clippers oh, game stop it. with a bunch of future starts on the roster. But no, I'm I'm excited, and that'll be our next professional wrestling pay per view rewatch. Thank you, Dennis. You can follow him at Dehab Show, and of course, you can listen to me and Joe Monday through Friday, two o'clock on the Fan. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.